0: Kia ora and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, the Auckland Faculty. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, and today I welcome to the podcast Dr Colette Muir. Today we are discussing vaping in the youth. So Colette is a developmental paediatrician who works at Starship Children's Hospital. She has a special interest in working with children and young people with neurodevelopmental conditions and disability. She is also learning to be a parent of teenagers. Kira, ora, Colette, and welcome. Kia ora. thanks for having me. So today we're discussing vaping in teens. Colette, we've mentioned you're a developmental paediatrician. Tell us why you've become interested in this area.
1: So I've become interested in this recently, just starting to uh, see uh, referrals come through, often for the conditions that I'm usually seeing uh, young people for they may be having difficulties with their learning, often it may be a concern about concentration, ADHD, or or often just the other conditions I I work and deal with and just starting to realise and seeing more and more young people vaping alongside the position, the the reason that they have come to see us. So I started doing some reading and some looking at this and realised that this was actually something that as frontline clinicians, we need to know about know how to ask. I think I'm a bit probably a little similar to a number of the other clinicians in this area that have become interested. Also, by having teenagers and starting to realise that uh, as a parent, I was behind, behind the eight ball on really knowing about what was happening out, out with the young people nowadays.
0: So in your reading and research, tell us about the numbers. How many teens are
1: vaping in New Zealand? How much of a problem is it? Well, I think the issue is that this is a new and emerging thing in New Zealand. So we're trying to really keep up and to understand. And so any time we talk about the numbers, we're talking about a point of time in a survey or a piece of research that tells us exactly how it was at that particular point in time. But let's have a look at probably the three pieces of research that probably help us to answer the question, that question the best we can. Um, as you know, in New Zealand, we have the ASH survey, which is an annual survey of almost 30,000-year-10 students, so they're typically 14 to 15-year-olds. Um, the last information we have was actually the 2019 ASH survey. So what we know from the ASH survey is around 0.8% of young people who were vaping were daily users but had never smoked. More recently, we've had some information come out from the Youth 19 survey, which was also undertaken in uh, 2019. What we know from that was that 10% of students were vaping regularly, which was defined as monthly or more often, and 6% vaped weekly or more often. And that was compared with 4% and 2% respectively for tobacco smoking. In that study, we also found out that over 80% of ever vapors reported they were non-smokers when they tried vaping, and nearly half of regular vapors and over a third of weekly vapors had never smoked. Even more recently, we've had a survey come out from the Respiratory Foundation here in New Zealand. Now, we have to be a little um, cautious about this because we may well have a self-selected group who have been answering this question. But what we did have was 19,000 respondents, and these were from secondary school age students. And of the respondents, 27% of those surveyed reported vaping and 15% reported smoking. And of those 75% of those vaping, or 20% of the total respondents, are vaping daily or several times a day, and the majority are vaping with high nicotine doses. So there's a lot of different ways we can look at these studies. Um, But for me, I really interpret these as frontline clinician. And as a frontline clinician, my thoughts are, we need to know about this. We need to understand which of our young people are vaping, particularly those that have never smoked before. And we need to put that into our clinical thinking and reasoning when we're talking to young people. Some really
0: great points there. Thank you, Colette. Thinking about vaping for a moment, I wonder, are young people using the vape to look cool, or are they using it for nicotine delivery? How are
1: vapes being used? So they are in themselves just a device that allows it to be heated and then aeros- aerosolised and inhaled. There are uh, some young people are vaping flavourings with no nicotine. Most are vaping flavouring that also has nicotine in it as well. And you can also use the vaping devices for other substances such as THC. What we're usually talking about here is those that are using the vaping devices to inhale both the flavourings that also have nicotine with them as well.
0: I wonder what the Ministry of Health position statement is on vaping. Can you talk to that, please?
1: Yeah, so there's a website called Vaping Facts, which covers both the use of vaping, where we're probably quite familiar with this, which is um, particularly to try and decrease the rates of smoking, and also has information, facts for schools and for professionals and also for young people or adults themselves. There's a statement there of what a number of, led by the Ministry of Health, but another other group's support as well. And I agree with what, what is agreed on in the statement. So I'm going to read you those statements. That vaping is not for children or young people. That vaping is not for non-smokers. The best thing you can do for your health is to be smoke-free and vape-free that vaping is not harmless, but is much less harmful than smoking, and that vaping can help some people quit smoking. So I agree with all of those statements, and today I'd like to focus on the area which is where my clinical expertise is, which is really around how we should be thinking and managing vaping, particularly for young people and for non-smokers.
0: Yep. Thinking harm for a moment What are the potential harms and what are you seeing? So, thinking physical versus educational versus developmental, perhaps?
1: Well, look, the physical side of things is not really my area. And I think uh, what's my read of the literature is that this is still a very much an evolving situation. And I think we're going to need to keep our eyes on the literature and see what comes out of there over time. Where I'm particularly interested is around the educational and developmental side of things. So, what we know is that. For some young people that are vaping, they are actually using it because they have now become dependent or addicted to the nicotine. That means they may be developing cravings, they may be developing associated mood issues such as irritability or feeling down. They may well be having difficulties with their concentration. And what we're starting to see is young people who actually, this is starting to impact their day-to-day function, they are starting to impact their schoolwork. Um, And it's starting to impact how things are working with their relationships and and families. Whether they identify this themselves and whether this is part of a much bigger way of looking at this young person, whether it's an and rather than an or, is something that we're working out case by case.
0: So the Canadian Paediatric Society have uh, released a position statement on youth vaping. I wonder what the important messages are from this statement, please.
1: So look I think this was a really good position statement actually, and I've actually spoken with colleagues in youth health and tobacco control and AOD and um, and it seemed that not only from a pediatric perspective but also from other perspectives, this was a really good document to look at and understand more about vaping and how that it can be impacting our youth and what we can actually do about it. Um, what I liked about the Canadian guideline is it gave us some ideas about screening, gave some screening tools which actually your GP colleagues uh, who are listening may be be more more familiar with than myself. But it then led into actually the questions that we can ask about vaping. Now, I think this absolutely needs to sit in the wider context of the HEADS assessment. I know you've already got some good resources about that. Um, So I'm not going to review that today. But what was helpful for me was actually then seeing some of the questions we could ask to help pad out (laughs) our our HEADS assessment, because you never want to look silly if you don't really know the questions to ask. They had divided the questions up into six different areas, which I found quite helpful. Certainly starting with product information, so then just being able to ask things about what type of brand of vape are you using, where and how do you obtain your cartridges, your, pond, your pods or your vaping liquids. And particularly, although I'm not sure if this is so much of an issue in New Zealand, understanding if they come from legitimate vendors or, or are they black market products, I think they're actually pretty widely available for legitimate channels in New Zealand. Vaping substances, um, actually asking about what cartridges and liquids people are using, Um, knowing some of the brand names is probably quite helpful when you're starting to have this conversation, asking if they do contain nicotine or THC or flavouring, and talking to young people if they know the concentration of the nicotine that they're using when they are using these vaping substances. Then nice to get on to actually thinking about motives. Of course, once again, you're going to do this in that whole heads assessment. So you're going to get to this gradually, but the end point you're wanting to sort of get to is to understand, you might want to know how old they were when they started vaping. Why did they start? Why did they continue? What are the downsides of vaping that they've experienced? And what I'm hearing and seeing on the ground is often for young people, that motivation about potential physical harms that we may not have a lot of knowledge about yet and not particularly motivating. But some of those other things they talked about, feeling irritable, uh, relationships and uh, difficulties with schoolwork or concentrating or needing to leave the school classroom, those can be more motivating for young people, I think. Understanding that wider context, um, how long after waking up people need to vape, are they at home or at school or in other places, are they vaping regularly through the day, getting an idea of the frequent intensity, how many days per week are you vaping, how long a cartridge lasts, how much, how much liquid are you using. And then, of course, taking it through to actually the vaping-related harms. Have people tried quitting on your own? How long will you be able to go without vaping? What happens when you stop vaping? And it's sort of good to know at this point If there's symptoms of nicotine withdrawal, as we talked about, irritability, depressed mood, difficulty concentrating, feeling restless, increased appetite, is all quite sort of useful to know. It also comes in a handy sort of summary page, which I think is really nice. And I've started to use some of that in my practice. Of course, that acknowledges there are some people who are bathing and it's not necessarily leading to harms. And I think it's really good to explore that, um, the harm side of things, if you're wanting to know what you would do about it. That guideline then goes on to talk about other aspects, how to go in and manage and treat both from a behavioural perspective, which is really one of the most critical, and then moving on to some potential pharmacological assistance if needed.
0: So Colette, the 5A framework has been discussed with respect to vaping. I wonder if you can talk us through this.
1: So I find that useful in this setting, just really reminding myself to ask about vaping to advise youth not to start vaping and share risks. And one of my, I was talking to a youth health colleague and I said, I think we really need to be talking to our children at intermediate schools about that. And she looked at me sideways and said, no, no, we need to start with the eight or the (laughs) nine-year-olds, which was just a different way of thinking for me. We then need to assess the motivation to cut down through the types of things we've spoken about and then thinking about assisting the youth in the effort to abstain or cut down or quit and then making sure we arrange appropriate follow-up. Yeah, that's a great way to think of things. Thank you.
0: Stanford have developed a toolbox for clinicians, and it looks like a fantastic resource. I wonder if we can talk
1: around this for a moment. So this resource was put together by the Stanford group, who have expertise and research experience of putting together resources for young people with regards to cigarette smoking and tobacco. They've used their learnings and their understandings to now launch this toolkit uh, for young people who are vaping, and the idea is that this is a toolkit that can be used by young people themselves, by parents, by schools, as it sort of takes people through. It's an education-type process with short clips and questions, and it helps lead into that understanding and potentially towards motivation to make changes. So it's a really nice, positive way if we have young people that are vaping can actually start to explore and think about potentially making change. So
0: vaping in schools can, it creates a bit of an ethical dilemma for both the parents, the clinician and the school staff. Historically, children have just been sent home, suspended and continue to vape. So what messages should we be advocating
1: in this space? Yeah, look, I think our schools have been frontline in this and they've been using all of their, um, all of the tools in their own toolboxes, including often their really good relationships with the young people they work with and also their health professionals supporting their schools, which may be often their school nurses or their GPs. And I think we need, to, we need to get behind schools with how they do things. I think they are balancing up, as they probably are in many of the things that they do. They're really balancing up here, what is not acceptable, <laughs> which is that actually, they have an obligation to have smoke and vape-free schools. That's an expectation of schools from the government, from parents. <laughs> that's that's what we expect. Um, also balanced up that actually we have these devices which are very small. They are often quite difficult to identify. Some of them look like memory sticks. They're very, very easy to, to contain. And nicotine is addictive. And I think the right thing to do is advocate that it's not okay <laughs> in a school setting but also acknowledge that this is coming from children and young people who have a lot going on in their lives and we really need to think about a harm reduction approach and uh, play to young people's strengths and knowledge to try and work out how to manage this really difficult situation.
0: So thinking about what needs to happen in this space, as you've said, it's a relatively new thing for a lot of us. What do our teams need to advocate on behalf of
1: our youth? So I think with something emerging, The very first thing is we actually need to ask. We need to ask and identify. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think that this is something that we can, like, and I know we've got a lot of things we all need to think about all the time, but I think we do need to add this to the list of things we need to do, both sort of in a way of thinking preventative care, and also when we have young people presenting with conditions particularly associated with school. So I think we need to ask, and that'll help us to identify I think within our own practices, we need to think about our resources and whether that's understanding these resources, whether um, people are working in clinical situations where they have the knowledge and confidence to actually go through and manage these situations and help young people who are expressing the desire to cut down or to quit, to do that ourselves, or whether we need to link into other resources who may have the other expertise to help and support. But I think within our own teams, we need to uh, enough know what to do about it that we're not scared to ask. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Thank you for your insights today, Colette.
1: Some take-home messages for our listeners, please. So I think my main message is we need to ask about teen vaping. This is a thing now, and we, we need to do that. So we need to be able to do that. We need to feel confident doing that, and I think doing it within using those wider skills of our youth health work is the right way of doing things. I think we always need to think, and um, if we are seeing someone for vaping, It may be that alongside that there are other things we need to focus on and these may be things like other neurodevelopmental conditions, other mental health conditions. This may be an association but certainly we need to think about this young person as a holistic whole. I need to think about how we support our education-based colleagues because we're all in this together in this emerging way of doing things. We do need to find and develop those pathways for how we manage this and I think there may be opportunities to make sure that the voice of our youth is heard in the wider public health space as well.
0: Great, thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting to you again today, Colette. Thank you for your time. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points, please log them and for a list of resources, go to our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.